0: Hello, welcome to the LifeBridge podcast. We exist to practice the way of Jesus, participating in God's kingdom coming in Dover as it is in heaven. My name is Tyler Saldana and I'm the pastor of our church community. We are so grateful that you're checking out our church's podcast. We pray that the Spirit uses this podcast to encourage you in your following of Jesus.
1: Good morning. Welcome to LifeRidge Church. Um, Tyler, uh, a few months ago, asked if uh, some of the preaching team would be willing to speak today. And I'll tell you, it seems like every year I, um, I kind of snatch the chance to speak typically this week. It's usually this week or next week right around Thanksgiving because this is, without a doubt, my favorite time of year in Ohio. I, I hate cold weather. I, I despise it. But, you know... All of us that were raised in Ohio know that this is the best time of the year because this is the final Sunday before Advent, right? We start our Christian walk toward Christmas next Sunday, and then Thanksgiving is Thursday. Um, And thanks to just, you know, divine intervention, every year at this time, Ohio State beats Michigan, and this year it is going to be at home this coming Saturday, so schedule your day now, all right? It is game week. Exactly. Game week, and it's interrupted by Thanksgiving. I agree. And then hunting season opens Monday after Thanksgiving. This is truly the greatest time of the year. That is, that, that's gun season. Uh, that is, because both seasons are already open. And then the Saturday after that, Ohio State is scheduled to win the Big Ten Championship game. December 16th is my youngest son's birthday, Silas, and that's a, that's a, that's a great time. Um, not quite as big as, uh, as Thanksgiving, but close. And then we have Christmas on the 25th. And then there is that. I don't know about the rest of you, but there is a downhill slide that week after Christmas. And then, you know, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, we eat this rancid uh, food, the, the, the greens and the black-eyed peas and pork. Um, and it's not smoked pork for whatever reason. It has to be stewed in a crock pot, uh, just making the house reek. Um, but then, then January 9th, Ohio State is scheduled to win the national championship. It, it goes, it, this, this is kickoff Sunday, and I'm always happy to speak. Um, the lectionary reading for today, and I, I, I tend to, when I, when I speak, I like to go with the lectionary reading. And the lectionary reading today is Colossians 11 through 20. And I'm sorry, we, we didn't get the slides to work, did we, guys? It just never had slide issues. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read, um, uh, read these, uh, and I apologize for that. Um, I, was, I was in the ER last night. I was working last night till 2, two till in the morning. And I literally said to the doc I was working with, I said, I, um, I gotta go, I have to preach in eight hours. And um, I don't think those words have ever been said by an ER doctor in history. And She, she gave me a strange look. So, so I'm sorry, I, woke, I had four and a half hours of sleep last night. Um, coffee this morning is a blessing and so I'm really grateful but uh, I'll start off now like I said the lectionary reading is Colossians 11 through 20. I want to back up to verse 9 though so we're going to do 9 through 20. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to add a couple. Uh, I just think it adds some context but today's passage it is about identity and it is not thankfully about our identity. It is about Christ's identity or if you will it's about Christ's identities. So We'll start with the the full text. It's eleven verses, so settle in. Colossians one nine through twenty. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. All right, the word of the Lord. So, I wanted to do a little bit of background on Colossians. Um, I'm, I'm a history geek, but I think that I think all of Paul's letters are better understood in their context. So, Paul wrote the, the book of Colossians in around A.D. 62. Paul was in prison in Rome at that time. Uh, Colossi, which was obviously the city that, re- that uh, received this letter, it was located in Turkey. Um, Colossi, the geography said Turkey, but the town w- was Roman. Um, and it had been a major, a major town, a major uh, site of trade, uh, up before the time of Christ. But by this time, by the time Paul was writing this, it had started to fade a little bit. Trade routes had changed a little and had kind of taken it off of the, uh, the ancient interstate, if you will. But it was still, it was still a decent-sized city. There was, there was a Colosseum there, 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 were, there were temples. It was, it was a pretty big town still. Uh, Paul did not establish the church in Colossae. Um, the, the founding of the church in Colossae is um, is a little bit unfortunate because of a lot of names that are similar in the Bible, at least it's unfortunate in my book. Uh, so so Paul, if you remember, Paul went to Ephesus, and he spent several years in Ephesus. He started a church there, and while he was in Ephesus, um, a student of his was named Epaphras, or Epaphras, depending on how you say it, but I, I always find Ephesus and Epaphras confusing, but Epaphras studied under Paul and Epaphras then left Ephesus and he went to Colossi, and he started that church in Colossae And so Paul didn't start it, but then years later when Paul was in prison in Rome Epaphras came to Rome and he, and he told Paul about that church And what he told Paul was that there was some destructive teaching There was something going on in that church in Colossae that was a problem And so Paul wrote this letter like all of the Pauline epistles <clears throat> This had a theme and it was written in response, and, and I think it's always great to think about all of Paul's letters as what they are, as letters to a church that we just nowadays, we have the privilege of reading, that for divine providence, for, for whatever reason, God chose these letters for us to be able to look at in modern-day Ohio. And, and so the question is, what was that destructive teaching? And, and it's not completely too clear, because Paul did not give it a name. For generations, uh, we, we tended to think that it was uh, Gnosticism. Probably wasn't completely Gnosticism, but but if you go back, Gnosticism was this. Uh, hey, look, there's my slide. So if Gnosticism uh, was a belief that was that, that had started to get a toehold in the early church, but what's interesting is Gnosticism was not a Christian doctrine. There are Gnostics, there were Gnostics that um that weren't Christian. It was a, more of a set of a set of beliefs that some Christians somewhat shoehorned into Christianity. And Gnosticism was a really wide spectrum of beliefs, but there were a couple that were common, uh, that, that most Gnostics shared, and one was the duality in nature. So Gnostics believed that there was the material and there was the spiritual, that humans were both spiritual and material, and that nothing in the material, nothing in the flesh was good, that everything we did in the flesh was sinful and evil, whereas the spirit could be righteous. And so they took this really far, but they took it in different ways. Some Gnostics believed that if everything you did in the flesh was evil, then why try to do anything good? What they did was they deprived the flesh. They would go out uh, and they would live in the mountains. They would wear animal skins and they would live a very Spartan existence. And then the other side of that were um, Gnostics who believed that if everything you did in the flesh was evil, then why try to do good at all? Just just continue doing evil. And that was the eat, drink, and be merry crowd. Um, so the two different ends of the spectrum, but, but both consider themselves be Gnostics. And then the other thing that Gnostics believed was that the way to salvation, the true way to ultimate salvation was through enlightenment through this personal knowledge that was either learned or revealed and so the problem with that was that They they, that meant that they questioned or they outright rejected The idea that faith in jesus christ and his death on the cross was the basis of our salvation like i said it it doesn't seem to perfectly fit gnosticism and in the book of colossians When Paul speaks of this teaching, he mentions some elements of Jewish religion, that is Sabbaths, Jewish festivals, um, angels, and these are all elements that we see today uh, in uh, Jewish mysticism, which which is kind of a fringe religion that we still see a bit, but in the ancient world was a little more prevalent. But then also, currently, I think that most people—if you look up in secular sources—most people think that this false teaching was what, what was referred to as an angel cult. It was a kind of a mix of Jewish mysticism, Gnosticism, and this angel worship. And if, if, you, if you Wikipedia Colossi today, it, it will even say that at that time, that Colossi was the home, the center of this angel cult. Though the common theme in all of this is simply that it brought in extras. This destructive teaching brought in extras. It brought in extra knowledge, extra customs, extra characters. And all of that at the heart of it, it suggested that they just didn't believe that Jesus Christ alone was was the source of our salvation. So we'll back up here. I want to go through the first verses. um, Colossians 9, Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. Paul wrote, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul starts this passage by saying that he's prayed for the Colossians from when he first heard of them, praying that they would have wisdom and understanding and so it's a kind of an obvious point um, But it's really important there because Paul says asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom And understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him So Paul's saying right there. He's implying at least that knowledge wisdom and understanding that they allow us to walk in a manner pleasing To the Lord worthy of the Lord and that means two things first. It means that wisdom knowledge and understanding are important, right? Um, so to me that matters because why do we study Scripture? You know, why have we been meeting Wednesday nights to look at Scripture together? We, we, we've been studying in our small groups the book of Philippians. You know, all of these things tend to seem somewhat boring uh, to a lot of people. But it's because, what, like Paul writes here, it builds knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. It is amazing to me how every time I read a book, I am I am changed, and I have to be honest right now. When I say read a book, anytime I say read a book to you folks, I, I'm listening to a book. I do not read. Uh, I read the Bible. I do not read another book. Medical texts, maybe sometimes. But but when I read or listen to a book, I am changed. If I read a book about Antarctica, I suddenly think that Antarctica would be an okay place to live. So Beth will often look at my Audible Plus subscription to see what I'm reading to know what she has to be afraid of, because you know it's like, hey, we're going to Montana this week, you know. So. Um, but it changes me, and I think as human beings, we are changed. We are changed when we read. We are changed when we, when we study, and we are changed when we read the Word, and especially when we study it corporately as a group. And then second, Paul's words, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Those are really interesting. They're interesting to me because I come from the, uh, I come from the saved by faith mentality. Absolutely. Ephesians 2.8. If you remember Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow used to write Ephesians 2.8, actually, in the eye black, under his eyes. Ephesians 2.8 said, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift from God. It is a gift from God. By faith we are saved. But our walk, our behavior, it can be pleasing to God, or the opposite. And I just, I have to remind myself of that. And I reminded myself of that because I think of our kids. Because We have four sons, as you know, and they are Johnsons by absolutely no fault or no work of their own. It was a divine tragedy that started in rural hall, North Carolina, almost 20 years ago. They're ours through nothing they did, but they can walk in a manner pleasing to me, right? They could take out the trash, they could wash my car, heaven forbid they could pick up their socks. They can also tell me when mom is about to get home and I'm still playing video games. They do nothing to make me love them. I love my kids more than you could ever, more than you could ever love a kid, right? But, but what they do can be more or less pleasing to me. And Paul reminds us then, after that, Paul then reminds us that we're strengthened. We're strengthened through God's power, through His might, that we might have patience and endurance. And I hate, I, I really hate scriptures that talk about patience. It's kind of a strong word. I've never liked to cover that. I don't like the subject of patience, Um, I thought that I've always felt that biblical patience was somewhat of a vague subject and honestly I think most people that know me know that patience is not my strong suit and Those that know my children know that that's probably a genetic problem But I have learned I have learned as I have grown as I as I have as I have aged as I have lost hair I have gained patience no doubt about it And I think that part of that is this biblical study and just what God's taught me but because I realize now that patience is not Christmas morning patience, right? Patience isn't waiting till my parents tell me that I can open up presents. And patience isn't waiting till the whole family can sit down to dinner and we bless the food and start eating, right? Patience is, is the knowledge and the understanding that in our in-between times, when we are waiting, it is an opportunity to see God working in our lives. Every, every one of these challenges, every time, every in-between, every moment of holding on is my chance to see what God's doing in my life, and that, that is my new thought on biblical patience, and, and, and Paul right here is, is reminding us that, that God's power, his might, provides us with that patience. And then Paul moves on from there to, com- to, uh, to comparing light and darkness, right? We see, that, we see that a ton in scripture. Paul writes, we are qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. And he writes, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. How great it is to live in the light. Like, I, I don't know about you guys, but I love light. Um, I do not really like this, this current time change because about four hours after I fell asleep this morning, light was coming through my window, right? But it's, it's great to wake up. It's great to wake up with, with the sunshine because, what is, you know, you think about what light does. Light does two things, really. It exposes our flaws. A, a few months ago, I repainted a, a motorcycle gas tank and I did it in a lean-to behind one of my barns and I thought it looked awesome. And then it dried, and I took it out in the light, and it looked terrible. I had to sand it down and do it again. Light exposes our flaws. It shows us our mistake. But also, light shows us our path. It guides our way, right? And, and, you know, someday in Christ's new kingdom, new Jerusalem, there will be no darkness at all, and there will be no sin, and that source of that light will be Jesus Christ and God the Father. We are told in this current, light, we are, in this current life, we are told to walk in the light. Ephesians 5.8 reminds us. For at one time you were darkness, but now you're a light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We walk as light. There is nothing that we do that is hidden. We are to have no secret sin, no guilty pleasure, no double nature. Nothing's darkened and nothing is concealed in our lives. And then finally, Paul gets to really his transition and somewhat the heart of this passage where he writes, speaking of Christ, His beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins, right? Paul ends this section with a transition to that next section, and he says that we're redeemed, right? It's the heart of the gospel. Our sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. But now we move on to Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17, and this is, uh, this is the identity section where, where he writes, where he writes, all right. the next slide? Great, all right. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So this passage, the rest of this passage, is really, I think, what the lectionary was going for today. This is the, uh, the subject of Christology. That is a long word um, and outside of the medical field, I tend not to use long words. But but Christology refers to the study of the nature of Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ is. And so that's what we're looking at right now. Is like who who is Christ? Because Christ, kind of like um, kind of like the Gnostics said in a way, Christ has a couple of a couple of natures to him, a couple of identities. And and Christ has two definite identities. And as I was putting this together, I was thinking like that sounds that sounds kind of tawdry, you know, because in in this life. Um, when we think about people with two or, yeah, people with two identities we tend to think, I tend to think about spies You know, the, the CIA mole that's actually a KGB agent and in the ER, you know, histories of ERs going back years, there's always those urban legends about a guy that has a heart attack and shows up and two wives show up and they've never heard of each other, they've never seen each other that kind of tawdry stuff but I've got, I've got actually different, I've got, is the next slide up? back there, is Anthony back there? I've got this is, my, this is who I think of when I think of two identities. This guy, his name is Dave O'Karma. He's from Akron. But I never knew him as Dave O'Karma. I knew him as Dave the Painter. When I was a kid, um, my dad, our family business was electrical contracting, so every summer I would go work on job sites. And there's this giant apartment complex in northwest Akron called TimberTop. If you've heard about it, it was because about two weeks ago, somebody died from carbon monoxide poisoning. There, I had nothing to do with that. But 30 years ago, I would go up in the summers, and I would wire because they, they was, this place was so big. They were always building new buildings, and Dave, the painter, was the painter there. And Dave was Dave was like my older brother. Uh, we uh, we were close. He had he had a brother his uh, about his same age, and just, he we had this crazy habit. Both Dave and his brother, and my brother and I, were at night. We read each other Trivial Pursuit questions because we're geeks. And Dave and his brother, they were the same kind of geeky guys. And so we hit it off, and Dave and I would spend, we'd eat lunch together, we'd have contests to see who could do the most pull-ups, who could do the most dips. He was a great guy, and then but I knew him was known as Dave the Painter, Dave O'Karma. But he had another identity, and I never knew about it until I was in college, and I realized that Dave O'Karma is Kundago Karma, the professional eater. This guy has, a prof- or has a world records in eating the most donuts, eating the most ears of corn, um, and eating the most hard-boiled eggs, which are all very odd. At at his peak, he was number 14 in the world. Um, He was in, you know, he was in all kinds of documentaries. What happened was I was watching the Travel Channel one night because I was bored, and they interviewed this guy. And I was like, I can't believe it. I never knew that guy was Kundago Karma, the professional eater. Anyway, it has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Um, It is about double identities. So, what we're looking at today, though, is Jesus Christ's identity as Christ the King, as, as God, as King of the universe. And right now, in modern Christianity, I think that um, this is the less, emphasized, the less emphasized identity, right? Maybe the less fashionable aspect. Because we, today, we really like to think about Jesus Christ and his human identity, you know, which all started as, as baby Jesus. We like to think about how Jesus was flesh and blood how he lived here with other people, how he ate dinner with sinners, um, how he was one of us. You know, we, we think about Jesus as man, because we, we like to think about that family aspect uh, of faith. We like to think about Jesus Christ as our brother. Um, we also like to focus on how Christ knows what we're going through, right? Because Jesus Christ knew what it was to obey parents. He knew what it was to enjoy food, to love friends, to be disappointed in others, and he, and he knew what it was to suffer. Um, and because of that Jesus Christ, he, he, he's gone through everything we've ever gone through. He, he, so he gets us, he understands us. But I do think that a lot of that current emphasis is a reaction. It's a reaction to previous generations' emphasis on the power of God. If you, were, if you grew up in a high school uh, that had a similar educational track like mine, you had to read Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. And by the way, I went to public school. It just happened to be public school in the Midwest. Um, but those things, they emphasize how... How powerless we were and how powerful God was. And over time, um, I think Christian, Christian doctrine started to shift where we started to emphasize that, the brotherhood of Christ. But this passage today, this is all about Jesus Christ as King of creation. And Paul starts this by writing that Christ is the image of the invisible God. Right? It's referenced throughout the Bible that, that God himself has never been seen, but Jesus was seen. Jesus was here. Jesus could be touched he was, you know, he, he, he sat down, and he, and, he, and he lived among us for over 30 years. Jesus is the image of God. And then the next phrase that Paul uses is tricky, and um, it's, it's, led to a lot, it's led to a lot of heresy. It's a led lot, to a lot of misunderstanding, and that is where, where Paul writes that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, right? We're still talking about Jesus Christ here, and if you look at it first, like literally at a superficial glance, that looks like he is saying that Jesus was the first thing that God created. And if you, if you go back to the original to the original Greek, um, what he wrote was, pro, I can't believe I'm going to say this, protokokos passus kitseos. I actually ran that through Google Translate just for giggles. Um, Google Translate actually thinks that that's Lithuanian, um, which I was surprised to hear is a language. So uh, I, I don't speak really either one very well. But the, the direct translation is, is that that says the firstborn of all creation but that's not really consistent with the rest of scripture right nowhere else in scripture does it say that Jesus was created rather it says that god was with or that Jesus was god was with god the father from the beginning of time if you look at john uh, chapter 1 verse 1 john writes in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god john when john says uh, the word he's referencing jesus christ john's john's very clear there that jesus christ was with God from the beginning. Jesus Christ was not created. And then, you know, Paul, Paul uses that phrase, the firstborn of all creation, and it's, it's the, the word firstborn that I think is so tricky. And, and the way I think about this is that is a title. It is an honorific, a title of honor. Um, right now, Jill Biden is the first lady of the United States. Jill Biden was not the first lady in the United States. She was not the first born or anything like that. It is simply a title of honor. And if you go back to Psalms, in, in Psalms uh, chapter 89, verse 27, God is talking about his covenant with King David when he says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Right? It, David wasn't the firstborn among kings of the earth. David wasn't even the firstborn of his family. He was the youngest of eight brothers. That is, again, that's a title of honor. Um, Paul is referring to Jesus with that title, just saying that Jesus is greater than all creation. And I know it seems like it seems like that's splitting hairs and explaining something that doesn't need to be explained. But um, in the world today, there are some fringe groups that will that purport themselves to be Christians and that use our Bible and that will say that um, that Jesus Christ was created. It was a it was a heresy that started back just after the time of Christ. Um, but I think it's it's just it's just not biblical. But there was every on occasion you might have somebody stop by your house who brings that up. We'll see. Paul moves on to verse 16 where he writes, "For by him all things were created." In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so there it is, right? Paul writes, for by him all things were created. Jesus created all things, and that is all things on heaven and on earth. Um, And again, that spoke to that specific issue of angel worship. Um, Because again, like we said before, there were some in Colossae who were worshiping angels and and Paul was very clear about this as are other parts of the Bible that that angels, they are part of creation. We tend to think about them as having uh, a special place because uh, because they're in the spiritual realm, but they, they are part of creation and they are not to be worshiped. Worship is reserved for God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Trinity. And then that phrase thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, that also, that speaks to powers both in heaven and, and on earth, saying that Christ created them. And then Paul moves on uh, where he says that Jesus Christ is before all things, and in him all things hold together, right? So he, he created all things, he's more important than all things, and he holds them together. And um, when we talk about the holding things together, that is, I think that is both literal and figurative, um, I like to say, I like to think that, and I know, that Beth, Beth figuratively holds our family together, right? Like, if, if Beth has to be gone on a school morning, things are going to be rough. Um, hair is not going to be combed, right? There is going to be a backpack or two that are left on the kitchen table, and uh, toothbrushing is a luxury at, at best, right? Like, but she doesn't, like, literally hold us together. She, her arms are long, but she can't hold us all there. That's literal. Jesus Christ literally holds the, worlds together, the world together. He created, he created the world, and then he set in motion the laws of physics. Um, laws like gravity that literally hold us onto the earth, right? The laws that, the laws that regulate how atoms work, and I, um, I hate it. I hate it when pastors talk about physics, but I'm not a pastor. Um, interestingly, I also hate it when doctors talk about physics, but, um, but physics... The laws of nature are amazing, because if you had, you know, we're all made up of atoms, some of us remember that from school, but the center of an atom, the nucleus, it's, if, you, if you had a nucleus the size of a blueberry, the rest of an atom is the size of a, of a football stadium, and that's all empty space. And literally when an atom falls apart, that is, what, that is what an atom bomb is, right? It's managing to split the atom. Jesus Christ holds the world together, because the laws of physics that Jesus Christ created are literally holding the world together. And you think about the other just the crazy things about about physics, like, you know, water, lakes, they freeze from the top down instead of from the bottom up, which is a good thing if you like fish, you know, because otherwise they'd die. Ice fishing would be nothing. He holds the world together. And then we move on to verses 18 through 20 where, where Paul wrote, and he is the head of the body the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Paul closes this section, this selectionary passage, by reminding us that Jesus is the head of the church, which is his body, which is us, by the way. Um, And he brings us back to the heart of the gospel, and and I love it when Paul does this when he sneaks in. He's, he brings us back to that message that Jesus has reconciled us. Jesus paid for our sins, uh, providing us with true forgiveness through His blood shed on the cross. Um, it's just it, you know it's a great nod that Paul makes to the rest of Scripture um, that our ultimate peace, our ultimate peace came about through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So, why today? I guess that's the issue. Why does it matter? Why does Christology matter? Why does the lectionary point to this passage in Colossians today? Um, and, and I go back to this idea that we, we tend to emphasize Jesus as our brother. We do, and it's great. You know, um, Jesus was born in a very humble, lowly setting. He grew up with parents. He had friends, right? Um, he was one of us, and, and he gets us. Jesus knew what it was like to be human, right? Jesus understands pain, sadness, anger, hunger. Jesus wept over Lazarus. He turned water into wine. Just don't tell the other Mennonites, right? We get him. Right? We understand Jesus. He was one of us. He was very human. Um, and that's true. That's, you know, that's what's great. And Jesus is our brother. Um, but we're reminded that Jesus is also the king of the universe. He created everything, and all things continue through him. There is nothing in the universe that exists independently of Christ. And that's kind of awe-inspiring to think about. But the coolest part about it to me is that, is that both things are true, right? So that my friend, my brother, is also king of the universe. The person who's seen it all, who's done it all, and who created it all is the one who keeps it going and is the one who knows how I feel. Um, and that's why, that's why I think that you know the lectionary being today being this passage is great because we are starting Advent next week, and you know that begins our walk toward Christmas, like I said before. We're going to start with reading passages predicting christ's christ's birth in the manger we're going to study the 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 christmas story that night that christ was born and then as the year goes on we progress toward easter and toward his ultimate death and sacrifice on the cross but the thing is that it culminates right here it culminates this sunday right before thanksgiving reminding us that jesus christ is god in the universe he has all the power in the universe When he was a human in his human form Jesus gave us some crazy difficult advice advice that that in You know in my heart of hearts. I really struggle with Jesus told us that when we are injured by others that we are to turn the other cheek Right he told us that if somebody asks you to walk one mile you walk two miles if somebody asks you for a shirt You give them your coat Um, And he tells us you know most importantly that we are to love others as we love ourselves, and this is great advice is It's amazing but, and it sounds it sounds awesome, but it flies in the face of everything that we and that I want to do, everything that my human nature tells us. But the same Jesus that was here and said that, the same Jesus who was here whose vocal cords and flesh formed those words is the same Jesus who created and, and continues to sustain the universe. And and because of that, I know that I can live up, I can't live up to I can at least attempt to live up to his advice. Our small group this week met and we read Philippians 4 13 where, where Paul wrote I can do all things through him who strengthens me And that's what this passage is all about I can do all things through him who strengthens me because he who strengthens me Jesus Christ Has all the strength and all the power in the uh, in the universe And so this week we're about to get, you know, we prepare to give thanks And we prepare to walk toward Christmas to celebrate Christ's birth And this is a reminder finally that we just got to remember who that baby was about to become, which is Christ the King, and who he was at birth, Christ the King and the King of the Universe. That's all I got. Thanks, guys.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the LifeBridge podcast. For more information about our church, please visit lifebridgedover.org. There, you'll be able to find out more about the church community, our ministries, ways to get involved, recommended resources, and to give. Be sure to subscribe to receive new episodes directly into your podcast feed. While we are glad that you're checking out our podcast feed, we believe that the New Testament teaches that church worship is to be experienced weekly, in person, within your local church community. Thus, we encourage you to either join us in person for Sunday morning worship or to find and commit to a local gospel-centered church community in your neighborhood. Thanks.